Hey everyone, thank you for listening to my podcast, The Managing with Common Sense. My name is Glenn Cruz, and here's another episode. Today, we're going to actually talk about people first and process second. And my guest today is Doug Raybolt. And Doug is, he's the chairman of the board for HDI, and he also has a consulting company called Bolt Ray Consulting. And Doug, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate you having me on today. For my 800 plus followers on LinkedIn and people who listen to my stuff and watch my YouTube videos, someone may not know you. Someone, probably someone, a lot of them do, because, you know, since we're both in the HDI family, <laughs> right. pretty much everyone knows who you are and they're starting to know who, who I am. For the people who don't know, can you tell us about your journey from going into your role, at, role right now? And yeah, just, you know, basically tell us about yourself. Well, my, my journey is a long and winding road to, you know, to, to quote the Beatles, right? So I actually had a first career in, in sales and sales management, a completely different industry, non-technology. I was in financial sales and services, was a mutual fund wholesaler for a period of time, was a stockbroker, did, did that whole thing, property and casualty insurance, you name it. It was a financial product. I, I probably had my hands in it at some point. And, and I got to be about 40 and decided that I, I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. It wasn't fulfilling. It was financially fulfilling. It just wasn't, you know, it, it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel like something I wanted to do the rest of my life. And oh, by the way, when you're in a sales career, the targets always get harder. They never get easier. So right. you, you, when, you do, when you make a point, when you reach a goal, yeah. you're like, oh, we're going to up at 2% or whatever yeah. it is, right? So, so you're always on that treadmill. You know, it, it's it's never, it's always what have you done for me today, not not what have you done for me in the past. So I got to that point when, where I just kind of did a life assessment. I'm like, what do I enjoy? What, what am I interested in doing for the rest of my life? And and I, I was like, I've always liked technology. I had no formal training. I won computer science class in college, you know, had, had everything was self-taught, but I, I did have some, some pretty decent skills and, and wound up, you know, starting off at, at ground level. I started off as a level one analyst working night shift throughout a, a six figure career in sales and, and started off from the bottom and, you know, made like $32,000 the first year, which was a, you know, big belt tightening exercise. But the, the whole idea was I, I wanted to go down a path that was something that would be fulfilling to me, something I would enjoy. And, and so, you know, I, I, I worked my way up pretty rapidly from level one analyst to, you know, a supervisor in the, in the desk, well, to a senior analyst and then to a supervisor. And then, you know, from there, I became a project manager in IT and, and did some other things, including web support and, you know, pretty much kind of, you name it, and I was involved in it. But I got involved with HDI early on in my in my IT career, in my second career in IT, and learned a lot of best practice, connected with a lot of people. And that's been very influential. So, you know, from there I became an officer in the organization. And, you know, every time somebody would ask, hey, would you would you take this additional responsibility on? I, I felt I owed it to the org to say, sure, I'd be happy to take on more responsibility. And so in in my day jobs that happened, uh, I took on more and more responsibility. And and in my side gig with with HDI as, you know, as a leader, I took on more and more responsibilities. And so that, that's sort of been my journey. Uh, the last 13 years has just been, you know, Doug's got wide shoulders. Let's, let's heap more on Doug's shoulders. <laughs> and it piles on, piles on until you say, okay, that's enough, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so I've only very rarely had to cry uncle, you know, in the last 13 years. But when I do, people understand Doug means it. If, if Doug's crying uncle, there, there's probably uncle to be cried. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I'm going to get a little therapy on you and just realize like the moment it clicked that you wanted to change and you wanted to make that, that jump in technology, what was that process like mentally for you and physically for you? Because some people just think about the mental thing, but the physical thing, it takes a toll on our body too. So what was that like for you when you made from finance to I'm going into a tech role where I barely know the world, but now you're like efficient in this world. What was that like for you? Yeah. So, so I would say there was a bigger mental adjustment. The, the type of sales that I did for the most part was, was a desk jockey job, you know, I, and, and so becoming a level one analyst wasn't a huge change. What was a huge change in the physical aspect was I was even a little bit more sedentary than I had been. And, and frankly, my, my weight did go up my first year or two in IT. I packed on some pounds. At one point I was up close to 200 pounds and, you know, you guys can see I'm, I'm pretty, pretty thin now, but, you know, I, I've dropped about I've dropped down to about 145 and, and I did that just by starting to eat healthier and, you know, no, no, no secrets, eat less, move more. Right. Yes. Exactly. Walk, I now walk like four miles every morning before I start my job. And, and I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm still in the work from home mode and, and we are, my organization is a remote first organization. So what used to be my commute is now my commute on foot instead of, you know, sitting behind the, the wheel of a car. So that, that was probably the biggest biggest physical change that, that I had to undergo. But I, I would say there was a bigger mental change. And, and by that, when it came to the mental aspect, what, what I did was I really looked at from a solution provider perspective, that was always my approach in sales. And the difference is I had to look at things differently rather than it being a financial instrument and how that is a solution to somebody's you know, well-being in, in the future. I had to look at it more from a perspective of how does the solution I provide now enable what people need in the, in the very near future? Usually you're thinking much longer term when it comes to financial instruments than you are in technology because technology evolves much more rapidly than financial does. So, so that was a little bit of shift in thinking. Really process-wise, I, I maintain the same process. It's just a matter of providing solutions that, that meet the needs, fulfill the requirements, and, and ultimately it enable the you know, the success of whatever the endeavor is. Wow. So just thinking about it, you were working in the financial institution and how they make changes and the way technology was back then, it was back in the eighties and nineties where technology was slower to go forward in technology advancing themselves. Look at today, almost every year, every other year, there's a new solution. Is that just looking back in your in your finance world? Is technology way advanced now versus you know in moving forward with technology and solutions versus what it was in financial institutions? So, Glenn, uh, what what I would say there, and, and and I'm a little bit different than than a lot of IT folks because I didn't grow up in IT uh, and, and my nature, I'm a bit of a disruptor. I'm a huge proponent uh, of Clifton Strengths Finders. And in Clifton Strengths Finders, it's, it's amazing. My, my top three basically said, Doug, you were born to be a consultant because it's my top three were learner, arranger, and futurist. So it's like, I go in, I learn everything about something. I figure out how it should be versus how it is today. And then I put it in order and then I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Right. And, and you're right. That's the, the, the 
rate at which technology evolves has grown exponentially in, in the last you know, 30, 40 years. And I feel a little bit fortunate in that, in that I waited to get involved in the technology realm until 12, 13 years ago, because what I see is a lot of the people who grew up in, in the IT world as IT technologists, technicians, analysts, what have you, they tend to have a much more inflexible approach. Um, it's like, you know, a lot of people that grew up with IT, they went and got their ITIL certification and, and now they're like in that process mentality and, and you know, it's got to be done. ITIL says it's got to be done this way sort of thing. And I'm like, no, I one ITIL doesn't say that. What ITIL says is, is we're not prescriptive, you, you know, th this is best practice, but you, you, you know, you, you adjust and, and conform to fit your org. But beyond that, you know, I, I have that disruptive mentality and it's like, I don't want to just do things the way we've always done them because that's the way we, we've always done them. I want us to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason and get the right result because that's where the value lies. And so, so that's been my approach. And, and, you know, again, I, I feel fortunate because I didn't get that flexible mentality by having grown up in IT when it did evolve much more slowly. So now when something new comes out, I'm much more willing to embrace it because of the fact that, you know, I, I'm new to IT and, you know, 12, 13 years doesn't sound new, but it really kind of is, you know, given the fact that I spent 18 years in another career before that. Yeah. You talk about disruptor and we've been at service management world and also at support world live. And we always talk about disruption, shift left all the time. Has going through those conferences and speaking with other people and you consulting, and I've been kind of doing consulting on the side too, is has IT, seems like IT wants to be a disruptor and shift left, but it's hard for them to make that change. Do you see that people are starting to go, okay, let's start making this change? Or are they still have that same mentality of, oh, you know, legacy, look still our same process we don't want to change that much do you see some differences now these days or everything's still the same so that's a great question glenn you know when when i think about that question i, I don't think there's one answer to that and, and you know this is going to sound like a non-answer but but that's because i don't think there is a single answer to it i, I think it depends on the organizational culture i think there are a lot of Fortune five, com five uh, Fortune 500 companies out there uh, that, or, or even, you know, some of these state and, and tried and true organizations out there that pay lip service to innovation and, and transformation and disruption. But I think they may define it differently than, for instance, a startup would. A startup looks at it as how can I change the entire industry? Whereas some of these much more established organizations and companies look at it more from how can I transform the way I do things, which is a big difference. It, it's, it's not how do I change the world, it's how do I change me and, and the people that work for me. So, so it's really, you know, we talk about buzzwords in our industry all the time. And, you know, when I talk, you know, when somebody says digital transformation, my first question is always, what do you mean by that? Because if you ask 15 different people for, for that, you'll usually get 10 different answers for what digital transformation is. And so to me, that's one of those key things is, is what do we mean by innovation? What do we mean, we mean by disruption? What do we mean by digital transformation? We need to define those terms in order to really understand what we're getting at and what we mean by that. Yeah, that, that's, I like that. Cause I was just thinking where, 
and I was talking to Kat about this on my last podcast was like, when, when there's that day where IT folks like us in, the, in this whole technology thing is when we use process and things, the way we do things, we're pretty much modeling from an automotive industry. You could talk about ITIL, you could talk about Six Sigma and all that. When can IT people just sit down and go, you know what? We're tired of following this model. Let's create our own model. When, when can that, will that ever happen? I'm just wondering, Doug, would that ever happen in this, in this world today? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and I, Glenn, I don't know if you've had a chance to sit in on, on any of Alan Nance's presentations, but, but Alan and I have, like, I mean, we talk for hours about stuff like this. And, you know, one of the things that I love that Alan's brought up in the past was, you know, in, in the 70s and 80s, we, we had the, the manufacturing economy. And then in the, in the late 80s, into the 90s and the early aughts, we moved into the service economy. Well, now we're moving into the experience economy, which is vastly different. W what you measure, how you measure it, and why you measure it has, has had to adjust with those economies. You know, when, when, it was, when it was the manufacturing economy, it was all about productivity. It was just, you know, how much, how many, how fast, how often, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what the manufacturing economy tells us. Then the service economy takes us into a little bit of that experiential aspect, but it's much more, it continues to be much more focused on productivity. Now, as we move into the experiential, productivity becomes much less important and those experiential metrics become much more. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, when, when I first moved into IT, everybody thought CSAT was the end-all be-all of, of experience. Yeah. If you're measuring CSAT and you got a good CSAT score, everybody's happy. Well, no, we know now that that's not true. In fact, I do a presentation where, where I, you know, I ask everybody in the room who has a 90% or higher CSAT, put your hand up. And just about every hand in the room goes up. Yeah, be like a, proud, a proud hand too, right? Yeah, yeah. And then it'll be like 92, most of the hands stay up, you know, and then 95 and still there's hands, you know, probably half the hands in the room go up. And then I say, okay, those of you with your hands still up, how many of you think that that's what your customers really feel about you? And just every hand in the room goes down, right? So we even know inherently that we're not measuring the right things if we're only looking at the traditional metrics. And so that's where some of these others come in. Net Promoter Score and Customer Effort Score and, you know, and QStack and Brennan, you've had on your show. Yeah. Some, some of these other ways that are non-traditional ways of thinking about that experience economy and, and what it really feels like to be a customer, a consumer of our service, that's where we're headed. And, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we've definitely had to rethink the way that we do things as, as we've evolved. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that new buzzword, experience. And a lot of people are like, it's no longer a service. It's an experience and experience goes through beginning to end has a lot of, I've seen people use the word correctly or departments or other. Yeah. I'll say departments use it correctly and some use it, but it's not true to nature of what experience is. Have you seen that around in this? in the world today of multitudes of different ways of people using the word experience? <laughs> so let, let me ask, or let me answer a slightly different question. And, and, okay. and I'll, what, what, I'll, what I'll answer for you, Glenn, is, is how the experience has come into play in today's world. Yes. And, and, and find that for everyone 
because it feels like no one's really defined it, right? So, especially for the IT world. Yeah. So the the way that I think of this, Glenn, is and and I'm going to use an example. I'm not going to give you a definition because you know my definition isn't isn't going to be any better than anybody else's. I'm I'm no pundit, right? I, I'm just a guy that that has a consulting business and and has some degree of of expertise. But when when I look at what's happened in the world during the pandemic. What's happened in the world during the pandemic with the great resignation or the great reshuffle or whatever you want to call it yeah. is based entirely on the, the employee experience. Yes. And studies have shown, and Gallup is one that's shown it, others have shown repeatedly that employee experience is what leads to a successful customer experience. So if your employees are unhappy, your customer is going to be unhappy. And what we've seen as part of this great reshuffle or, or great resignation is the employees are going where they feel valued. They're going where their experience is what they want it to be. They don't want to work for an organization that's going to demand that they report on site if that's not what their lifestyle says. You know, and you know, I, I'm a prime example. I love the fact that instead of sitting behind the wheel of a car for 20 minutes every morning and 20 minutes after in the afternoon that I use that time to go out and get myself physically fit. I love the fact that, you know, I can take my wife to a doctor's appointment and I don't have to commute to work, commute back home, then commute back to work and back home again in order to take my wife to a, to an appointment. You know, th those sort of things make my mental health and my physical health much better. And so what you're seeing is the employees, the, the workforce is gravitating toward those organizations who demonstrate that value, provide them with the employee experience that they want. It's, it's sort of the first time in, in history, you know, probably since, since the Industrial Revolution, when, when the labor unions first formed, that the, the employee, that the workforce actually has some control over their own destiny and, and where, they're, you know, where they work, how they work, and, and what that work life looks like. And I don't mean this to sound like a you know political diatribe or anything, but you know to me it's it's just very important that we look at that customer experience is absolutely rooted and and contingent upon that that positive employee experience, and the employees are voting with their feet right now. They're going where they want to work and how they want to you know how they want to be treated, how they're going to be valued by their employer. Yeah, it's two folds, right? It's not. I see it as I just learned this from my corporate retail days, where if our if our employees are not happy on the sales floor, then how well will they give an experience when the customer walks into the store? From there, we're like, well, we need more of a work-life balance. And this was in the early 2000s, and more of a work-life balance for our for our staff, not only in our corporate office, but then all our stores all over the United States. Once we established that, a lot of people were customers, customers always came in, always happy, always asked, you know, referrals like, hey, say my name, Glenn, is Glenn here today? He sold me these things and I want him to, you know, need his advice on these things. And that's impressive. And from there, we see it as a point, as long as you're happy at work and you love what you're doing, then the customers will feel the same way because we're, we're just you know, we have a more positive attitude. That's just from corporate retail. And I was also working for the Marriott and Marriott always really emphasized that 
where you had, you know, your customers make, make the best customer experience ever. And I'm glad that Apple took a page out of that when they went to the Ritz Carlton to learn their customer service experience. And that's why you, when you go to an Apple store, you, you get a better experience. But I think in my last pie class that Ben said that their, their scores went down customer customer experience because it kind of slide, slid down a little bit, but overall, you're still getting a great experience. I just came in there another day, just pick up some, I forgot what I picked up and it was, it was great, great service. I was in, yeah. in and out within like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and you touched on an organization that, that I do have a lot of respect for. Um, and, and that's Marriott. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Glenn, but, but Marriott's employee experience program was designed by Lee Cockrell, who wound up going to Disney and designing a lot of their Disney Institute programs. So, I mean, you, you want to talk about an organization that absolutely, you know, is, is foundational to an organization that is recognized as one of the world leaders when it comes to, to customer experience. I mean, that's, that's that, you know, that, that, you know, I, I guess you would say that incestuous type of relationship that, that Marriott has with, with Disney is Lee Cockrell just, I mean, he, he grew up and cut his teeth on, on customer experience at Marriott and then, and then transitioned a lot of that knowledge over to the Disney organization. So for everyone listening, I'm going to roll back a little bit here where Doug talked about his mental health, working from home, able to take his wife to an appointment, to a doctor's appointment, because he's able to work from home. He's able to stay healthy, his physical health, by walking four miles in the morning before he starts his workday. For who are the leaders that are out here listening to my podcast right now? Take an example from Doug's experience. It's not always all about work. It's, oh, it's the mental health and physical health of your employee to make sure that employee is happy and make sure that employees home, home life and work life is what well, is in a happy place and it's well balanced and example of Doug, what he talked about his routine and what he's able to do from home and like take a quick break from work to take his wife or even someone else would take their pet to the hospital or their child to the hospital real quick. That's, that's a big win for a mental health for, for your employee. So leaders who are listening, take a chapter from that because that's so important. And that's what, you know, we're talking about, right? Like people first process second, right? And the work will get done. It's making sure that, and I do this with my employees, if they're happy at home, they're going to be happy at work. If they're not happy at home, then obviously they'd be horrible at work. So, and their productivity is not going to go, it's going to pretty much be diminished. And it's, it's, you might as well call it, you know, go home. It's not worth it. Come back tomorrow when you feel better. And some, some places do that. Just come back when you're, when you, when you're feeling better. It's, it's, you can't just like throw it away like that. You got to say, Hey, you know, let's talk. Do you want to talk about it? Yes or no. You know, stuff like that. Be that leader of being, you know, hey, I see a concern, I'm worried about you. Let hey, do you want to talk or not? So so yeah, so take a chapter from that. Doug, I really appreciate you how you say that because I was like, wow, leaders need to listen to what Doug just said because that's really important because it's it's making his life better. <laughs> right? Yeah. You, yeah. And I'll tell you, Glenn, a, a way that I've applied that to my staff. Um and and you know, there there's 
probably dozens of people that have reported to me at one point or another in, in the last five to, to 10 years that could probably repeat this verbatim, which is why I'll be able to say it with a, without, a, without a second thought. And that is you spend half of your waking life at work. You spend half of your waking life at home. The other third of your life is spent asleep, right? So, so half your time is spent in these four walls. Half, the, half your waking life is then spent at home. If you're not happy in one half or the other, you're not going to be happy in the other half either. Yeah. And you know that, that's why it's incumbent on me as a leader to make sure that they're taken care of, that whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or financially, making sure that they are in, a, in as happy a place as I can put them from that ex- employee experience, because ultimately that's going to be a financial win because then the customers are going to be happy too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always said this in my podcast, the customer is not that person from the outside of the company, especially for IT. It's HR, it's finance, it's the marketing team. You know, there are customers too. And, you know, they are partners and, but yet there are still our customer also. So let's talk about why people first, because, and then process. Oh, I could go deep dive about process all day, <laughs> but I also like pe- people first. Our title for our podcast episode today is People First, Process Second. Doug, I want you to deep dive. Why is it important that people are first? You know, that, that's, and, and I've already touched on how, how uh, a lot of people that grew up in IT uh, over the last 30 years are, are very ITIL-centric, very process-centric. And yet one of the things that, that ITIL introduced was the concept of people process technology. And being a little bit of a disruptor, I'm, I'm one that says, while I don't think ITIL got much right, one thing that I do think it got right is putting people first. And to me, you know, yeah, you got to have your standards and best practices in place. That's the process component. But if you don't have the right butts in the right seats, if you don't have the right people, if you don't have the people with the right mentality, even if they've got the technical capability to do the job, if they don't have the right mentality and understand why they're doing the job and be able to explain why they're doing the job and, and collecting a paycheck is not a good enough reason. Yeah. They've got to be invested. You've got to get people on your team that are invested in the end result of what your organization produces. You know, if, if you're in the education field like Glenn, yeah. Glenn needs to be invested in people getting secondary education. That's what's got to be, you know, first and foremost, when they deliver service, that's what's got to be first and foremost to Glenn and his team. When, you know, I, I, I now have a day job working for a telemedicine company. One of the things that first and foremost, every member of my team has to be committed to is making sure that if somebody's having a stroke, that we get their stroke cart taken care of. So, so they don't die on the table. And, and I mean, that sounds extreme, but that's the mentality that you've got to have. You've got to have people that are, are committed to the results and bring value to the organization. It's not about being able to execute against a process. It's not na- about being able to provide the right tools and technologies. It's about having the right people that do those things, that execute against the process. And if the process doesn't exist, figuring out a way to make it happen. And, and so that's why you also need some people with sort of this innovative, disruptive and, and outside the box thinking is, is how do we do things that we're not accustomed to doing? Pandemic was a classic example. The people that may not have been the favorite sons 
or favorite children, I, I don't mean that to, to be gender-based, yeah. <laughs> may not have been the, the favorites before the pandemic, suddenly became the favorites. And, and, and that's because during the pandemic, so many things at the beginning had to be innovatively designed, had to, you know, like, you couldn't just rely on the way things had always been done because suddenly you took everybody that was, you know, working within four walls before and moved them home. And not only did you move the people that, you know, the, the service consumers home, but also move the people who were supporting the, con the service consumers home. So there were all these things that you had to innovate very rapidly. And, and I, I mean, then you needed to refine what, what you iterated on. So, you know, to me, that was, that was sort of that moment of clarity that it's got to be about the people. The people that didn't succeed in, you know, in, in working from home during the pandemic were the, the people who were not, they were the people who, you know, were, were accustomed to doing things one way and, and didn't know how to get outside that box, yeah. which, yeah. So, so to me, that, that's why people have got to come first. You've, you've got to look for the right mentality and, and they've got to add business value, not just technical skill. So, you know, I'll, I'll take somebody with desire and capability any day over somebody with a degree and, and certifications that doesn't really have the right mentality. Yeah, I, I say the same thing. Like, I if a company, if a company, I'm like, hey, you know, contracting company is like, I heard you're looking for some I, uh, IT folks in your group. I'm like, yeah, and they're like, what are you looking for? I'm like, find someone from Nordstroms, and I'll take that person. Yeah. Like, what about technical skills? If they could, if they have a year experience of technical skills, fine. But if they have none, it's okay because I could teach tech. That's not a problem. Yeah. But they service. Yeah. Do they have technical aptitude and a desire to learn? Yeah. Yeah. And and plus, you know, hiring process for me, I've hired a few where they they want to move up or they want to be successful. They could be, I was listening to uh, Kim, Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, and she talked about rock stars and superstars. These rock stars that I majority have, they want the company to succeed. They want to succeed, but they don't want to move up. They are good what they're what they're doing. The the challenges for us leaders, especially new leaders, is oh, you're an awesome person. You did that so well. Technically, we're gonna make you a manager <laughs> when they're rock stars. Yeah. And, and that's where it falls apart. You know, you want to find that superstar who wants to move up, who wants to be that leadership role, who who has vision. Who could see at the thirty thousand foot level? You you kind of want that, and you kind of want to train that for that person. That's that's a challenge for when you're talking about leaders, people who are smart, who's making these decisions. I remember Ben in my podcast was like, "Bring they're smart people, but they sometimes forget to bring their brains to work." <laughs> and yeah, that's a challenge because sometimes they just get too political, or strategic, or technical that they totally lost sight of what they're trying to do and and they just forgot to bring their brain to work <laughs> yeah. so. and and every organization i've worked for uh, i mean that that like i said my key element was i was looking for the people on my team that were committed to delivering whatever that end good or, or service was my first it job was was working for whataburger and at whataburger Hey, you had to be committed to flipping, you know, making sure that good quality burgers get served. I mean, that, that's got to be the, you know, first and foremost in your mind. We're just the technology enablers to do that. My next 
career stop was at CPS Energy. And, and there it was literally keeping the lights on. That was what we had to do. I, I mean, and, and, and so every career stop I've had, you know, it was always about finding the people that had the commitment to whatever good or service your organization delivers and making sure that they are the technology enablers in order to achieve that result. That's the business value. Let, let me ask you this question. When can, I don't know if you've been experienced this or you, you've consulted with other, other companies, but I've started to see this and I've started to see a little shift. But when does IT get the respect of the C-level suite? Because right now we're just, they're just thought of as our good days, our quietest day. But when, when something breaks, some, it's, it's like the world end and they're just relying on IT. But when it comes to HR, finance, marketing, they get all the respect from, from the C-suite. When does, when does IT get that? We are a victim of our own mentality understand that this is coming from a guy who had 18 years in sales and sales management before moving into IT. One of the things in sales and sales management that you do is you always, always, always advertise your successes. In IT, we don't do a good job of that. We're not accustomed to celebrating successes. We're just accustomed to fighting fires. Well, and so, yeah, right, right. When we get that respect is going to be when we learn how to communicate effectively how we add business value. That's what, I mean, ultimately, that's why sales and marketing get the respect of the C-suite, because they show that they are a profit center. And you know, this gets kicked around a lot. IT is a cost center. Well, you know what? That's because we don't know how to show how we're a profit center. Um, we don't need to, or, or we don't effectively show how we trim costs, how we, how we can realize savings through, you know, through things like telecom expense management, through things like a successful software asset management program. We don't do a good job of communicating that back to the C-suite and saying, look at what we saved. Yeah, we realized that we had to spend X, but guess what? We also saved Y by spending X. We don't do a good job of that. We leave that to the project managers on the front end, but nobody ever communicates back on the back end. Project managers show what is projected to be the cost savings of, of doing this implementation, but nobody ever goes back and says, hey, look, this is the real savings. Because once it's, in, once it's plugged in and it's functioning and everything's running fine, we move on to the next project. And, and so that's, that's incumbent on us to, to show the C-suite how we bring value. And I don't think we do a good job of that. I will say again, you know, I, I, I think I've sort of shown my hand that I'm not a huge fan of ITIL these days. Not that I think it's wrong. I just don't think it has it entirely right. I was, and, and Kat McDermott will probably Kat, be- on, close your ears, Kat. Yeah, he'll probably be <laughs> unhappy with this statement. I don't think ITIL 4 went far enough. ITIL V3 was all process oriented. ITIL 4 is practice oriented, but a lot of it is just practice wrapped up in, in process format. But one of the things that I think it did bring is, is the notion of, of co-creation of value. While I'm not a fan of that term, simply because I think it's just one of those definitions that people memorize when they're going to go sit for their certification. If they actually sit down and dissect what co-creation of value is, 
bringing business value and having business value in mind throughout the entire chain of events that, that is, is in IT service management, suddenly that's one of the things that ITIL4 got very right. And, and kudos, Kat, appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's one of the things that I, I think we absolutely need to get better at is, is don't just memorize it for taking a certification, actually learn what co-creation of value means and, and then be able to demonstrate it. That's the, that's the element that we're missing is how do we demonstrate that value? So Kat, if you're listening, you probably will. When you come to an HDI event, again, you probably will. Hope you will, because <laughs> it'd be nice to see you. And when Doug's there and I'm there, we'll, we're going to do a podcast recording and we'll just sit down and talk about ITIL and the way things are and what's it like being at HDI. <laughs> Great. That, that'll be fun. So yeah. I'm going to jump here. And I tend to do this. And you probably listen to my cat one. I tend to jump around. Let's talk about the experience award again. And some, I was at one event where, how, how did you, like one question went to a CEO uh, or a CIO to a company, not a CEO, CIO to a company. And it was basically VPs and CIOs at the, at the panel. And they were like, how did you measure experience for your employee? And I go, oh, well, we use, you know, ServiceNow. We measured, watch what they do. And we see they're doing successful there. I'm like, that's such a BS answer. <laughs> right. And he didn't really, he had to pause because he really didn't know he got put on the spot. Yeah. And I felt bad for him. And I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's not really a measurable. It can be a measurable thing. You just can't say, you know, I get my data from the metrics, but I coach sports and it's very critical to make sure that your stats are shown correctly. It's a motivator, not of like, you know, not a put down to, to uh, the other players and to the team. So I want to make sure that make sure it tells a story, right? How can we measure the IT experience from here from since we're all about the buzzword now experience? How can we measure that now for the employee for the employee yeah and and just so i'm clear for the it employee it employee yeah right. everyone who listens to me is all from it right. <laughs> majority right. i will say there's probably as much art as there is science to this i mean there are some data points that, that are critical to know and, and i'm not a data analyst so so i'm just going to go off the top of my head here but i mean things like schedule adherence things like attendance and and while i'm not a huge fan of you know you, you got to report at this time got to you know you, you got to take your lunch at that time all that you know all, all those workforce management scheduling aspects if you sit in a call center those things are absolutely critical because they're you know that there's algorithms that identify when it makes sense from a call volume you know incoming call volume perspective when it makes sense to take it's a little bit less important if you're in you know in, in a non-customer facing role you know if you get the job done if you get the work done and, and you produce that business value it doesn't matter when you do it where you're doing it from and, and you know any of that call center is a little bit different in that aspect so so there's absolutely elements to that but you know those are those are some data points how much time are they taking off why are they taking it off if, if they're willing to share that and and looking at things like attrition i mean what, what's your employee churn level look like if you're losing people left and right going back to what i said about the great resignation great reshuffle if people are leaving in droves it's usually not because of the money i'm sorry folks people don't leave a company that they love strictly for money it's usually because of something else there's usually money in, in, involved too because right now everybody knows you jump ship and, and you're probably going to get a raise somewhere else i mean that's just the reality 
quality of the world today. That also they wouldn't be looking if there wasn't something else going on. There's something else going on. So, you know, th those are some of the key metrics to look at. But, you know, remember the topic here is people process technology. That's all process stuff. Right. Those are metric measures that are process related. Here's the thing. It's about the people first. The way you know this is by talking to them. I know, I know this is IT folks. We don't like talking to people, but that's as a leader, how you know what the sentiment is. If you, if you create a workplace where there's psychological safety and you make it clear, this is a safe room. You can tell me whatever is on your mind. I value your opinions, thoughts, and feelings. And I want to hear what you really legitimately want want me to know. Let's pretend that it's us over a beer in a bar somewhere, not us in the work. Now tell me what you think. And when you create that place of psychological safety and live up to it, don't react, don't hold people, you know, don't penalize people for what they say in those conversations. If you open that dialogue, you absolutely will understand where they are. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this. This is something that I stole shamelessly from Captain Abershoff and it's your ship. If you've never read that book, please do. Any Anybody on this podcast, if you've never read It's Your Ship, please do. This is a naval, naval captain who inherited the worst performing ship in the Pacific fleet. And in three years, turned it around to the top performing ship. It was the only one that actually launched Tomahawk missiles from the, the Red Sea during Operation Desert Storm. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, he and he did it by engaging with his sailors individually, interviewing them, not just once, but then following up with them and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with them in cyclical fashion. Fashion. Captains do not do that. In the military, that just doesn't happen. They dedicate their time to so absolutely powerful, has heavily influenced the way that I lead. Yeah. Another book I'm going to say also is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. That's uh, a great book. Robin Orsini, who was on my podcast, also a young entrepreneur. And she read that book and she's a rock star in Canada. When I got that book, every time I had, every time I got to commute to work, <laughs> I would, you know, I would listen to it. I would actually do fake commutes once in a while. If I, even I'm working from home today, I would do a fake commute to go somewhere and just drive just to listen to the book. Yeah, It's a great book. And I'm, I think I'm my third time I'm listening to it right now. Cause sometimes you just miss things and I take notes or I take verbal notes on my, on my phone when, when I'm listening to it. Doug is, I'm looking at his bio. He's a thought leader. He's an award-winning human. I'm say that in everything he does. I met him through HDI, which I'm a part of. I'm going to drop name drop HDI. <laughs> and since we're a part of HDI, let's talk about HDI a little bit. So for people who don't know HDI, can you give a brief definition what HDI is about? Doug's HDI elevator pitch, huh? Yes. Yeah. HDI is is really what I look at as the leading service desk and IT service management organization in North America and, and potentially even through the world. The world, because I met the people from Japan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In Brazil, right? In Brazil. And, and what and what HDI brings to the table is, is an assortment of best practices through training, through a, a local chapter network, through certification programs. And, you know, I, I can honestly say that I would not be at my career level that I am in 12 to 13 years, if not for my engagement with HDI early on in that. And the reason being is I connected with a lot of people very early on, got to know, you know, industry thought leaders that, you know, it's funny because now I get mentioned in the same sentence with some of these folks. And in fact, I wrote an article about it called the, for Service for Support World, the blog last year. And, and it was, it's called The Power of Connection. I would encourage everybody to look it up on thinkhdi.com. 
the power of connection. You can you can Google it and find it that way. But it talks about how there was a time when when I joined HDI just to you know sort of learn the industry and and take things that would help me in my career. And and now I've grown so much just in, in great part because of my involvement with the organization and the people I've met and the things I've learned that now I'm like at that stage that I'm giving back to the organization. And in true servant leader fashion, you know, I, I feel like it's my time to give. It's, you know, my, my taking days are over. Now it's time to give back to the community. Yeah, that's how I felt too. When when we first got on board with HDI to do our surveys, I was kind of, oh, it's just whatever. It's an HDI company that does our survey stuff. And I never got really introduced to it until I met Ben. Ben's like, hey, why don't you speak about something at service management world? So I said, yeah, I'll do something called how to coach the underperformer. And I thought to myself, wow, I, I'm going to able to teach something that what I coach and now I put in the business world, I need to give back. To me, HDI opened that door for me to give back. And I was like, how many people would know this? And surprisingly, when I did my my topic at Support World Live, I had a full room. I was so surprised. I was probably get I thought I was gonna get like two or three tables, but no, there's standing room. Everyone table was occupied. People against the wall. I was so impressed. I was like blown away. Like how many people were trying to help their employee, especially their underperformer, become a better performer. I want to give back, and that's why I joined HDI and became a board member at the local chapter because I want to give back. Because what what HDI has done to me was able to open the door to let I could teach what I've learned, and that's so awesome. So, yeah. Doug, I appreciate that that you're the top dog for <laughs> HDI. <laughs> I got to ask you two questions because we're almost out of time. And my first question, and I said this to to Cat, and is I'm going to say this to you now is if you had the ability to change IT like the world of IT, what would it be? If I could change the world of IT, that's a broad question. It, it really is. And, and I think I've touched on it repeatedly. One one of the things that we need to do is, is reframe the way that we, if I could if I could reframe IT the way that it should be, it's we need to look at it from a human-centric perspective first. It's not about the technology and it's not about the process. It's got to be about the people. And, and it's got to be able to show back business value. Those two elements, human-centric focus and business value, if we could get those right and understand those and be able to communicate them properly to the right audience, IT becomes so much easier, becomes participative as opposed to isolated. And I think IT for far too long has been very isolated, which is why the C-suite doesn't necessarily give IT the respect that it deserves. Yeah. My next question is to you is, if you're able to go back in time and see your 10-year-old self right in front of you, what would you tell your 10-year-old self? Wow. Very cool question. So, so my, my 10 year old self, I would say to me, I would say, go ahead and pursue the things that, that you're interested in. Continue to follow the dream. And the reason I say that is at 10 years old, I made my first stock market investment and wanted to be a stockbroker. And I went through that path. And I wouldn't be where I am today if not for the various things that I did. You know, I, I have no regrets that I didn't start my career in IT. In fact, I think I'm better for not having started my career in IT. So I would say, don't change a thing. Pursue what you're interested in, continue to pursue the things you're interested in, and eventually you'll you'll wind up where you're supposed to be. Did you try to get your Series 7's license? You... I did. I, I had my 7, I had my 63, I had my 65, I had 24. I mean, I, I had I had like eight, eight financial licenses. Wow. So yeah. you retire and be a financial planner if you wanted to be. <laughs> 
<laughs> Doug, thank you for being on my pod. I want to plug in your consulting company, and here's your next elevator pitch about your company. So go ahead. Thanks. So Bold Ray Consulting, what I look at is I primarily look at uh, assisting organizations with leadership uh, development, with employee and customer experience initiatives, and then finally with IT service management and maturity assessment. Those are, are some of the critical elements. Also a certified instructor through Bold Ray Consulting for HDI and, and can deliver certification training. So I'm happy to help organizations in any way I can uh, along those three or four, four different pathways. Yeah, so awesome. If you want to know more, find Doug on LinkedIn, Doug Raybolt. It's last name is spelled R-A-B-O-L-D. You'll find him or find him on my connections. You'll find him there too. HDI, if anyone wants to become a member, I'm going to plug in right there. Go to the HDI website. It's, you know, literally HDI. Uh, what is it? HDI, I think. Some, I forgot what it was called. Gosh, that's horrible. So, so the the standard website is Think HDI. Yeah, think HDI. That's right. I just had it reverse. Yeah, that's my brain. That's how it works sometimes. So, <laughs> but yeah, think HDI. Google it. You'll find it. Find your local chapter. Become a member. And there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of knowledge base and a lot of thought leaders that could really help help you get to that next level. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're a rock star, or superstar. You, you'll get to that next level. And, and uh, I've been to it. Service 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 management world and support world live, and I had other colleagues join it and all they rave is when they go to the breakout sessions all they rave about is like oh this is amazing and beyond beyond the events beyond the the training and the certification and everything that hdi has to offer just the the sense of community is is absolutely astounding you know it, it's funny because i'm i'm typically not an emotional type person but you know it's 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 amazing when you get around the people in in the hdi community you know you you might tear up a little bit. You, you definitely are, are probably bound for some hugs. So you, you become a small child inside, even though you're, you're a hardened, ventilated old fart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like network, networking is so great at, at HDI. I've talked to a lot of people. It's not just IT, everybody. I met some people and now we're on a Google chat from two people from a financial institution at, in Canada. And then another financial institution, uh, help desk manager at in Massachusetts. So it's it's a very wide spectrum. I, I would encourage everyone to go to service management world or to support world live. I like both. And so so and go to the sessions and network. And best time to network is right when you, when we all have lunch and we're able to talk and collaborate and what you like what sessions you've been in and talk about it. And that's what I love about these uh, HDI events. So, Doug, thank you so much. I really appreciate you for being on my podcast. Any final words to my viewers? Yeah, j just very much appreciate the opportunity to, to join you, Glenn. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just close with, with the, echoing the things that, that we've said. Focus in on the experience. And by focusing in on the experience, that means putting people first and showing business value. Once, you, once we align those things, everything falls into place. Yeah, well... Great words of wisdom from Doug. Doug, thank you so much. And everybody for listening, thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. This will not be a YouTube video because of our technical video issues. So it will just only be a podcast. So you're probably just listening to Spotify, Apple, and Google trying to get on Amazon. All right, everybody. Take care. Be kind and be human. Bye. Thanks, Claude.